There are introductions, and there are introductions. But this is clearly one of the stranger introductions in the Bible. I invite you to turn to 1 Kings with me. 1 Kings chapter 17. It's not an unfamiliar chapter, but it's a very strange introduction. It's the introduction of Elijah. Elijah is introduced to us in 1 Kings chapter 17 and the first verse. It says, And Elijah the Tishbite, who was of the inhabitants of Gilead, said unto Ahab, As the Lord God of Israel liveth before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years, but according to my word. An awfully strange way to introduce someone, isn't it? The introduction is with a powerful message, yet before that powerful message, there's a reminder of who Elijah was as far as his roots. Look with me very closely at the first portion of 1 Kings verse 17, and what jumps out at you as you look at Elijah's background? Anything? He's a prophet. What else do you see there? Right in the verse. What is the introduction of Elijah other than this powerful message? What other indicators, what other insights into who he is? What? He was a Tishbite. Anything else about him? He was from Gilead. From Gilead. Now, for us as Christians today, when we hear the word Gilead, what do we often think of? The balm of Gilead. Of course, the balm of Gilead ultimately points us to Jesus, the great healing balm in the scriptures and in life. But to the Israelite mind, was this connection between Gilead and balm connected? Or is it something that's more of a modern connection that we make in 21st century Christianity? Have you ever wondered that? Turn with me in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 37, and I think we'll come up with some insight into how enmeshed in the Israelite mind was this connection. I'm turning to Genesis chapter 37, and as you're turning there, you may recall the context of Genesis 37. It's not one of the happier stories in the Bible. It's a story of how God, through adversity, preserved his people. It's the story of Joseph being sold into slavery. We're going to pick up the story right in mid point there in verse 24, Genesis 37, verse 24, we find Joseph where? In a pit. And I just have to pause right here because maybe it's possible that some of you right now are feeling like you're in a pit. I don't know what that pit is, but maybe you're dealing with some difficult things in your life. Maybe there's some challenges. Maybe you're even wondering why you're here. But I want to remind you as we look at Genesis 37, J Joseph is in a pit. It looks like God has forgotten him. We were studying about this last night. It looks like something really bad is happening to somebody who was quite good. But under inspiration, we're told that God in this experience was sending Joseph. How many of you have been praying that God would send you to just the mission field he wants you to be in? I realize maybe you're in school right now, and you say, well, I know where I'm supposed to be. Or you say, I know I'm supposed to be in this very workplace, but you feel like you're in a pit. You're wondering what God wants you to do. I want to tell you 
that sometimes it's in the midst of that pit that God is doing the most remarkable work in sending you to your ultimate destination. But the connection we want to make here is not that powerful one, but is another because it follows right in verse 25. In verse 25, we're introduced to a group of Ishmaelites, and where are they coming from? They're coming from none other than Gilead, and what are they traveling with? That's right, they've got camels with them, but what do they have in those camels, in the sacks that they're carrying? That's right, they've got spices, and of course they have balm. They have the balm of Gilead with them, and they're going to Egypt, the most prosperous nation in the world of the time. What did the Egyptians long for? The balm of Gilead. The balm of Gilead. So Jesus is the great balm of Gilead. And in the mind of the ancients, this connection between Gilead and balm and healing are intimately connected, going all the way back to the time of Joseph, Joseph going back to the Egyptians, longing for the finest things that money could buy. The Ishmaelites knew it. And so they came from Gilead with balm. So back to 1 Kings, please, with me. 1 Kings chapter 17. Because we're actually focusing this morning on Elijah's work and yours. Elijah's work and mine. 1 Kings chapter 17, verse 1. We are introduced to a man who comes from a land where there is balm, where there is healing virtue. This is, my friends, a glimpse into God's health message, I would suggest to you. Now, some of you say, well, wait a minute, you know, DeRose, you're a physician. You got those MD letters after your name. You're making quite a leap here to connect Gilead with healing. But it's intimately connected in the Bible. And I just want you, as you're looking at this introduction to Elijah, to realize that it was significant enough for the writer, the inspired writer of Scripture, under the guidance of the Holy Spirit, to make sure that we knew that Elijah was not just a Tishbite, but from he, that he was from the place where that healing balm was found. Are you with me? And so here comes someone with the health message. He's identified with the health method, message. He comes from Gilead, the place where the balm is found. And so what is the healing message that Elijah brings in 1 Kings chapter 17, verse 1? What healing message does he bring? I can see some of you are acting quite perplexed because it doesn't sound like a healing message to say that it's not going to rain, especially in a land that we know, as the story plays out, it's not just a few days of rain. It ends up being three and a half years of rain. Is this a healing message? Is it a healing message? By the way, if you were to look at Elijah's message, let me ask you a question in light of our theme. Was Elijah being called to stand? How many people were standing with Elijah when he walked into Ahab's throne room in 1 Kings 17. How many were with him? None was with him. He was standing alone, and he was giving a message that, by the way, this message appeared to be divisive. I mean, look at how it plays out. 
I mean, all of Israel ultimately becomes divided over this message of Elijah, weren't they? I mean, they were looking, Ahab was and his henchmen, for Elijah because Elijah had brought ruin to the nation. Where are you, remember? This was what was going on throughout the kingdom. Where is this troubler of Israel? Who was the troubler of Israel, at least in Ahab's eyes? It was Elijah. But what was Elijah bringing? This man who came from Gilead, the place of the balm, what was he bringing? The question is, was God bringing a health message to Israel in the message of Elijah? Was he bringing a health message? Fast forward with me, because you know the story well, to 1 Kings 18. We're one chapter further, and after those three and a half years of famine, there is a showdown on Mount Carmel. And I don't need, I think, for most of you to review the nature of the challenge. But what I want to look with you at is the words of Elijah in 1 Kings chapter 18. Because Elijah there is back in the presence of the ones who looked at him as the divisive element in the kingdom. Now, some of you might be, be wondering how this mind of mine is tracking as we're asking the Holy Spirit to guide us this morning. Having sat not only in medical circles as a physician, but also having pastored and sat with fellow pastors in ministerial meetings, I can tell you that many people in our church look at the health message as a divisive message. Are you with me? They look at the health message as something that divides instead of unites. And in fact, many of my pastoral brethren have asked questions like this. Well, is health, is it really a salvation issue? We've just looked at 1 Kings 17, verse 1, and I've got a question for you. Was it a salvation issue for Elijah to bring his message to King Ahab? Would Elijah have been lost if he hadn't have borne that message? Would he have been lost if he had said, you know, Lord, this is too stirring a message. I mean, people go before the king and say something strong and they'll be killed. I mean, that would cut short my ministry. When Elijah was being called to stand in 1 Kings 17, when he's first introduced to us, the question is, was it a salvation issue for Elijah? Was it yes or no? I would say don't be so certain. Okay? Maybe you know more than I do. But I'll be honest with you, I don't know if it was or not. For Elijah. But was it a salvation issue for the people of God. God in his mercy was calling his people back to him. And the healing balm of Gilead is brought in the form of proclamation of judgment. Something that looks like an uncomfortable message it is what brings God's people to Mount Carmel. And when they're there at Mount Carmel... Elijah speaks. Look in verse 21 of 1 Kings 18. 1 Kings 18, verse 21. 
Elijah comes unto all the people and says, How long halt you between two opinions? If the Lord be God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. God's people are being called to stand, aren't they? He said, if you're on the Lord's side, stand for him. If Baal's God, stand for him. What happened in the face of Elijah's call here in 1 Kings 18, verse 22 and 21? What happened? What did the people do? Like many of you, they answered him not a word. You're with me, aren't you? They answered him not a word. And so it is here that Elijah is making a call. Now listen very carefully to the call, because this is a contemporary call. We heard earlier this morning that God is giving a message to the Seventh-day Adventist church, not just to the world. Did you hear that this morning? And so here's the message. The message is not stop following Baal. Do you hear me? The message is not stop following Baal. The message is not start following God. Are you with me? The people in Ahab's day, I would suggest to you, and by the way, we have this on archaeological evidence supporting this position. The people in Ahab's day had not rejected Yahweh. In fact, there's an archaeologic inscription that comes from far south of Israel, dating back to the time of Ahab. And this inscription says something to the extent, I salute you by Yahweh of Samaria. Samaria was the capital of Ahab's northern kingdom. I salute you by, A by Yahweh of Samaria and his Asherah. We have that inscription dating back to the time of Ahab. What was going on is people said, you know what? We're following the true God. We believe in Yahweh. We believe in the Bible and the spirit of prophecy. But we also don't want to be too different. You see, there's a lot of good things out there in the world. You see? And so we can have the world and the church as well. After all, it's really not a salvation issue. Are you following here? Are you following? And so as the Old Testament closes in Malachi chapter 4, our minds are pointed back to this one individual, to Elijah. Turn with me there because it fits in perfectly, not only with our theme this morning, but our theme this weekend and the workshops that will be taking place. I'm turning to the very end of the Old Testament to the book of Malachi. Right before the Gospel of Matthew in the New Testament are the final verses of the Old. And it points our minds to this very man who we've been briefly looking at and the context in which he's been presenting. I'm in Malachi 4, beginning with verse 4. Remember ye the law of Moses, my servant, which I commanded unto him in Horeb for all Israel with the statutes and the judgments. So first of all, as the Old Testament is closing, it says, don't forget the sanctuary. Don't forget what's in the heart of the sanctuary. Don't forget the commandments of God. Don't forget how I use Moses. 
And the text goes on in verse 5. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord, and he shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children and the heart of the children to their fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. End of Old Testament. And so our minds are pointed back to Moses and to Elijah. And we say, why Moses and Elijah? What's so important about the work of Elijah as far as the closing work on this earth and what is going to happen in the New Testament in the ministry of Jesus? Elijah is calling a people to stand, isn't he? He's calling a people to stand. And when he gives that message to stand on Mount Carmel, how many stand with him? Zero initially. Zero initially. And what I'd like to suggest to you is that part and parcel of the Elijah message is a health message. Fast forward with me now to 2 Kings, and we want to take a glimpse at Elijah's closing days. We don't have time to look in detail at Elijah's life, but I want you to see a divine connection in the life of this individual who is highlighted in Scripture as worthy of special attention in the times in which we live. So we're going back to first, uh, now to 2 Kings. We've passed 1 Kings, and I'm in 2 Kings chapter 1. Elijah will be translated to heaven in 2 Kings chapter 2. So we're in Elijah's final days. I've suggested to you that Elijah's message begins, his introduction begins with wanting us to make a connection between Elijah and healing. He is identified as this one who comes from Gilead, the land of healing. And so there's this health connection implanted into our minds, even though his ministry looks like at first it's destined to destroy and to divide rather than to build up. But ultimately, we know what happened, right? The country was united, at least to a large degree, because of what happened under the ministry of Elijah. But now we're here in Elijah's closing days. 2 Kings chapter 1. I'm going to verse 2 because there's a serious health crisis mentioned in 2 Kings chapter 1, verse 2. Ahaziah, the reigning king, falls down through a lattice in his upper chamber that was in Samaria, and he was sick. And he sent messengers and said unto them, Go inquire of Beelzebub, the god of Ekron, whether I shall recover of this disease. And so it is that the king of God's people, of course, the nation is divided at this point. There's the northern ten tribes and the southern two. But the ruler of that northern kingdom of Israel is in dire need of healing. Elijah is still alive. The prophet who in our minds, from the very beginning, God wants, at least from his revelation, to connect with healing, I believe. And so now, Ahaziah, where does he look for healing? Where does he look? He looks to Beelzebub, the god of Ekron. Now, I'd like to suggest to you that this was not an unusual thing in that cultural context to do. Just as it is in our cultural context, if someone is ill, they will go to the prevailing power, the dominant power, the dominant resource that's available to them. And today in our culture, if we're sick, where do people turn? They turn to the medical establishment, 
Yeah, some of you want to make it very personal, and you say doctors. But they also turn to other practitioners of healing arts. And the point is, not so much where they turn, but where they don't turn. And so the message in verse 3, it says, The angel of the Lord says to Elijah the Tishbite, Arise, go meet the messengers of the king of Samaria, and say unto them, Is it not because there is not a God in Israel that ye go to inquire of Beelzebub, the god of Ekron? Now therefore, thus saith the Lord, Thou shalt not come down from that bed on which you are gone up, but you will surely die. health message? I mean, is this the health message here? I mean, when the health message comes to someone, it tells them what? You're going to die? That doesn't sound too healing. But realize that God's ultimate purpose for the health message is not to give a few more years to your earthly life, is it? So as we look at Elijah's ministry, God is showing us a ministry that is focused not only on spiritual health, but I would suggest to you on physical health. You see, God is pointing out in this final healing illustration in the life of Elijah that healing is his plan, but he is the source of all healing. I'm not saying you shouldn't go to a doctor for surgery. I'm not saying you shouldn't use the medical establishment. I still see patients as a physician. I'm not drumming up business for Weimar, but we have a privilege of seeing people there from a Christian spiritual context of wanting to cooperate with the Lord in healing ministry. And I know many of you do that in other contexts beside Weimar if you're in the health professions. But what I want you to see in this illustration here, is that the problem was a problem of focus. And so public, God is making this illustration with the reigning king and saying in his word that if we're looking for healing anywhere outside of Jesus and his word, we're looking in the wrong place. I should just mention, as an aside, that if you read into 2 Kings chapter 2, you'll find the other closing aspect of Elijah's work. Because Elijah, before he is taken to heaven, is visiting the schools of the prophets. Part and parcel of Elijah's ministry was not just preaching, but it was teaching and it was giving a faithful testimony to the health message. We see in Elijah's life a recurring theme that we're going to be looking at in our health series this weekend, that every one of us is called to embody what Elijah embodied. It's not only Elijah's work to preach and to teach and to be involved in health ministry, but it's every believer. For God's people today are the modern-day Elijahs. That's what inspiration directs our minds to. I invite you now to turn your attention to an important aspect to Elijah's ministry that's often overlooked, 
And I want to do that by way of going to a little book that many of you have read, Mount of Blessings, page 110. Listen with me to this application of Elijah's experience. But before we go there, let's just, even though we know the story, let's just pick up the context from the word. I'm back in 1 Kings 17. We're trying to paint a picture here of a man who's given this threefold work, teaching, preaching, and healing. It's Elijah. We don't often look at him in that context, but I would say it's part and parcel of the story. That's why we've given this overview. Now we come back to the beginnings of Elijah's message and ministry in 1 Kings chapter 17. He has just given this stirring message to Ahab. And then it says, the word of the Lord comes to Elijah saying, get thee hence and turn thou eastward and hide thyself by the brook Cherith that is before Jordan. And it shall be that thou shalt drink of the brook and I have commanded the ravens to feed thee there. So, Elijah gives this powerful message. And instead of extending his preaching ministry, what does God have him do? God has him go into the wilderness. Okay, he's alone. He's apart from ministry. And God says he'll provide for him. How is he provided for? The ravens bring him food. What do they bring Elijah? They bring him bread? Is that it? And water? We guess water from the brook. That's true. What else does he get? Flesh. Look at verse 5. He's there. He does what God said. He stands for God. He moves for God. And now it says in verse 6, the ravens brought him bread and flesh in the morning and bread and flesh in the evening. By the way, if you look at the Hebrew, there is no question what it's talking about. It is talking about meat. True or false, Elijah, this representative of God's end-time people, is on a total vegetarian diet. Now be careful what application you draw from this. Be very careful. Because we do have, on good authority, by inspiration, that this is the diet that those who are preparing for Christ's second coming will ultimately be on. Are you aware of that? But I want to tell you something. If we're preaching the Elijah message, we better be very careful that we don't judge those who we don't think are coming up to the full standard of Elijah's life. After all, Elijah himself was fed by God with flesh. Is that unsettling to any of you? Well, maybe just a little bit. I am a vegan, if you're wondering. And I don't say that proudly. I say it because God, in his grace and in his mercy, reached a non-Seventh-day Adventist. That was me, as a young adult. And uh, drew me to Jesus, first of all. Drew me to the Seventh-day Adventist church. And in fact, when I was drawn to the Seventh-day Adventist church, I wanted absolutely nothing to do with Ellen White. Absolutely nothing to do. And in fact, I was baptized as a Seventh-day Adventist, wanting to stay as far away from any of those spirit of prophecy writings as possible. So if you're there today, I can relate to you. But I have to tell you something. There came a day when God got me actually reading some of that counsel and actually seeing that it applied directly to me, that the Holy Spirit was speaking to my own heart, not only through the Bible, but through the writings of Ellen White. 
and one of the things God early directed my attention to, through some would say misguided friends, misguided friends that gave me books like Ministry of Healing, and believe it or not, I should maybe not say this in public, but one of the books that was actually given to me as a young Seventh-day Adventist, it was a book actually that I later learned in a very prominent Adventist institution that this book should never have been written. But it was given to me as a young Adventist. And the book was something called Councils on Diet and Foods. Now, by the way, just to set the record straight, I am very glad that book was written. And uh, for someone who had uh, health problems enough to disrupt my life significantly as a young adult, God started speaking to me like he spoke to Elijah. Well, not quite as directly. But he was convicting my heart that I needed to do things in my life that didn't seem to my mind to be all that attractive. I don't know that it seemed all that good to Elijah to go out and be a hermit for three and a half years. Well, he wasn't a hermit that whole time, but, and then to, I mean, I, I mean, I like birds, but it just does not sound real appealing to me to have birds bringing me bread and flesh morning and evening. I don't know how it seemed to Elijah either. But he was eating what God provided. Listen now, with that background, to Mount of Blessings, page 110. That God who sent the ravens to feed Elijah by the brook Cherith will not pass by one of his faithful, self-sacrificing children. Now, the problem with this is many of us, when we read things like that, you know, we say, well, I mean, really, I'm not all that faithful. And I'm, I mean, I'm probably, I mean, if I don't see it right off, that I'm not very self-sacrificing. The Lord's probably calling me to a lot more self-sacrifice. So I don't know how much this applies to me, but keep on reading. It says, of him that walketh righteously. You say, whoa. I mean, walks righteously. But I mean, remember, God sees us through his son. God sees us in Jesus. And so we accept him as our savior, even though our lives are marred and faulty, there's that voice that speaks to us from the cross. And it says, we're what? We're complete in him. And so as we read about these heroes of the Bible, it's not because we're so great, but because Jesus loves us, because God sees us in him. So as I read this, yes, I may not measure up in all of these ways, but when I'm trusting God, it tells us that he's not going to forget me. And the scripture goes on. Because she's quoting scripture here in Mount of Blessings. She quotes Psalms 37 and Romans 8. She says, they shall not be ashamed in the evil time and in the days of famine they shall be satisfied. He that spared not his own son but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? So today, the biggest challenge we have, I believe, many times when it comes to standing, is our own fear. Our own fear of what's going to happen to me, right? We're being called to stand for Jesus. And here we're looking at Elijah, and we're going to connect the dots more as we go through this day together. But Elijah is calling people to faithfulness. We saw it in Malachi 4, relationships. He calls us back to faithfulness in relationships. He calls us to healing in our relationships. And Elijah's message in his life calls us to be involved in health ministry, every single one of us be involved in health ministry. 
Is God going to forget you if you stand for him? Is he? No. God is not going to forget us. Now, before we go too far with some of these illustrations, do you realize that although Elijah was in the wilderness, fed with meat provided by birds, some of you should be picking up on a common theme here if you know the story of the Exodus. Remember? Fed with meat provided by birds early in the Exodus experience. But ultimately, Elijah is, while in Zarephath, on a vegan diet. That's what all the evidence suggests, isn't it? What did not fail from that widow's stock? The meal, the grain, and the oil. And by the way, God's children, first of all, when in the Exodus, were given meat with God's blessing. Do you remember that? It was only after they wanted to return to the old diet that God had once allowed, but he was now calling them from, that there was condemnation. Are you with me? God is calling us to walk with him, to stand with him. He's calling us to take advanced steps because it's calling for unusual people in an unusual time. I'm in Third Testimonies now, page 61. Third Testimonies, page 61. For years, the Lord has been calling the attention of his people to health reform. For years! How long had it been since God had given the 1863 health reform vision when Ellen White is writing Third Testimonies? Do any of you know? For years. It's 1871 when Third Testimonies is being written. It's only eight years. But for her, it was way too long. It was way too long. For years, God has been calling the attention of his people to health reform. This is one of the great branches of the work of preparation for the coming of the Son of Man. What is one of the great things we've got to be involved with when we're preparing for Jesus to come? It's health reform. It's catching the vision that Elijah had. It's following God, being willing to trust God. If he's calling me to stand for him, he's going to take care of my bodily needs. And if God says, this is what you're going to eat, this is what I've provided for you, what am I going to eat? Believe me, this was not an encouraging message to me. I may not look it, but I'm an Italian boy. Okay, three of my grandparents were born in Italy. They were not vegans. You can fill in the dots. But when I started reading about God's counsel on health, this was not something that caused me to run around rejoicing. But today, I rejoice in God's loving providence. I rejoice that God was willing to be misunderstood in my life. Here I thought God was trying to take something good away from me and telling me to do a bunch of things I didn't like to do. Now, today I'm a regular exerciser. I was not back then. This was not particularly pleasing to a guy living in Minnesota that I was supposed to get daily outdoor exercise. Have you lived in Minnesota before? You know how cold it gets up there. I mean, we're talking 50 below. That's not with the wind chill. That's 50 below, you know, like 100 below with the wind chill. Really? I mean, it's it sometimes that cold in the northern plains. And you're going to go outside and get exercise? Spirit of Prophecy tells us for a healthy young man, stern, severe exercise is essential. Especially if you're preparing to be, guess this, 
a physician. If you want the reference, I can give it to you. Yeah, yeah. Think seriously about that. That helped me a lot, that statement. I didn't like it, but it helped me. It helped me, and it still helps me today. Because I still have this delusion that I'm still a healthy young man. Okay. I'm reading on, Third Testimonies, page 62. He was a representative of those living in these last days, speaking of John the Baptist and Elijah, referring back to Elijah, to whom God has entrusted sacred truths to present before the people to prepare the way for the second coming of Jesus. John was a reformer, speaks about John's holy life. By the way, in Third Testimonies, do you know what Ellen White makes clear about John's diet? I'll read it to you. It was purely vegetable of locusts and wild honey. Wrap your mind around that. Some believe the locust was referring to the tree. I'll let you study the Greek and draw your own conclusions, but she says it was purely vegetable. She quotes Malachi 4, and then she goes on in 3 Testimony 62. Those who are to prepare the way for the second coming of Christ are represented by faithful Elijah. As John came in the spirit of Elijah to prepare the way for the first coming of Jesus. The great subject of reform is to be agitated. The public mind is to be stirred. Temperance in all things is to be connected with the message to turn the people of God from their idolatry, their gluttony, and their extravagance in dress and in other things. One last statement from this as we're closing. Listen carefully. There is nowhere, what is the word? Nowhere. nowhere to be found so great a cause of physical and moral degeneracy as a neglect of this important subject. She's speaking about health. Is it a salvation issue? God is so interested in an intimate relationship with you. We're not saved by our diet. We're not saved by our lifestyle. We're saved by Jesus. But Jesus does not just save us and turn us loose. I've met evangelical Christians who say, you know, I was saved by Jesus years ago, but he was not the Lord of my life for many years. There is no such biblical vision. If we're saved by Jesus, we are his. We are married to him. And he calls us to walk with him. And part of that walk is to live a different life, to stand in light of God's full counsel, which includes a preaching ministry for every one of you, a teaching ministry for each one of you, and a health ministry for every one of you. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we just close our eyes right now in your presence because our mind has swung throughout history, from the time of Joseph to the modern times and to your second coming. And we've glimpsed just briefly that you're calling us for an unusual message that relates to relationships, turning hearts of children to fathers and bringing wholeness to families. You're calling us to a message that involves faithfulness in health principles. You're calling us to a message that calls us to preach and to teach and to share your wonderful truths. And Father, the things that we most need to stand for are the things we least desire in our own hearts of hearts to stand for. We don't have the power to stand before you. And that's why you ask us to kneel, to bow down before you, because we don't have 
have the power to stand on our own. But right now, Father, we want to trust you that all your biddings are enablings. We pray that you would continue to work with special power in our minds, that you'd help each one of us have a clearer vision for how you're calling us, not just to read about Elijah in the past, to read about Elijah's work, but to realize that in this present day, you're calling us to a work akin to that of Elijah's, a work that can only be accomplished if Jesus is reigning in our hearts. May that be our experience. May we have clarity. May you continue to bless in the meetings today. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.